Hey there, me and my golfers, how is it going? Welcome to today's podcast. Now, in today's podcast, we're talking about high performance in the game of golf. And we've got a special guest who's gonna take us through some very key points, ranging from belief in yourself, the expectations that you set, your focus and your emotions, and how important these four main pillars are when it comes to high performance on the golf course. So we have Dr. Brett McCabe, who works with some of the best players in the world on the PGA Tour. We've known Brett for a few years now, and we've had some very interesting discussions with him in the past, and he has got a ton of knowledge which can definitely help you. So listen up, listen tight on this one. There's a, some in-depth conversations, but there's definitely some really good value for you, which is gonna help you with your performance on the golf course. Now, if you do enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review, give us a rating, and also share with your friends. As we always say, we're trying to reach as many special guests as we can on this platform. The more people we can reach out to, the better it will be and the better the guests will be. So thank you so much. And without further ado, here's Dr. Brett McCabe. Brett McCabe, welcome to the podcast. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Good to see you guys. Yes, pleasure. Yeah, I think yeah. the last time we saw you, I'm trying to think, it might have been at the show, but that was maybe over 12 months ago now. Was the, yeah, was definitely show, was the, over a year ago. Yeah, so you keep it well. show, yeah. Yeah, it was, it's been a while. I mean, I think the first time we met, we met in a, a pub late at night. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> the Long Yard, I think it was in, in Orlando. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was good. Well, it's great to have you on. We're going to hopefully, I mean, one of the things that we love to do in any bit of content that we, that we do, Brett, is, is try and pull out some practical things that people can use straight away. I, mean, I know that that's what, what you're going to be talking about today, and I know that our guys are going to love some of the content that you, uh, that you deliver. Before we get into it, what is a high-performance psychology expert? Just for the listeners to this, and, and what is it that you do, and, and what are the, who are the people that you work with? Well, I don't know about expert. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a I'm a high performance uh, somebody. But you know, I what I do is I'm a clinical and sports psychologist, which means that I am trained and on the hunt on a daily basis to um, understand the way that we think, the way we behave, the way we prepare, the way we review circumstances of which we extend our emotional and physical boundaries, um, and for many times we as people think that those elements that we push to reveal problems in us. And what I actually say is they don't reveal problems. They reveal areas for us to continue to reinforce and develop and build because every time we move and grow, we have to get out of our comfort zone. We have to push to our areas outside of our competencies. So what I do is I try to understand how we take the entire element of a competitor from the physical, the emotional, the psychological, um, uh, the execution, the training, and how we meld that together and working within a, usually a team dynamic to reinforce messages or to reduce or increase the way that we think and we embrace those challenges. Um, <clears throat> I try to work with the people. The most important thing is the person. It, it's not, I'm not a very, I'm not much of a, uh, you know, hey, you got a two, three breaths before you step into a putt type of guy. If that works for you, that's great. Let's figure out what works for you. And I think the best way to describe that is if you told people to visualize a shot, everyone's going to visualize it differently. Some people are going to see a shot tracer. Some people are going to see a feel. Some people are going to think you have to see a movie and they can't see anything at all. So my job is a lot of it through question and answer and using resistance and trial and error and different facets to get to the player to believe in themselves. 
I think one of my players, Billy Horschel, said it best. He said, you know, when I'm working with Brett, I don't really know what we work on, but I know I feel much better afterwards. And I told him, I said, that's, that's the greatest compliment you can give me because I, cause how Billy followed it up is he said, when I'm out on the course in the heat of the moment, I'm not thinking, okay, Brett said to do this. He said, you know, what I do is I try to, I try to eliminate the things that make people stuck and then reinforce the things that they're really, really good at and go in all, all in on that. And that's what I do. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I think as golfers and, you know, the <laughs> golfers certainly, we talked about this on a, with a lot, on a lot of our podcasts recently, is that a lot of people just think the secret's in the technique and so many golfers are, are working on the technique. And I always remember going back to a seminar we went to years ago, you know, on the mind and, and sort of on the behavior. And I think the, the, the guy who sort of put, was given this seminar said, who, who in here is working on their technique? And everyone puts their hand up. And he said, who in here thinks that their mind, their psychology is important? And everyone puts their hand up. And then he said, who can tell me something that they're working on in their, in their mind or their psychology? And there were zero hands that went up. So it's like, we think it's important. We know it's important. But yet a lot of people actually don't understand what to do and, and any processes, any tools. And, and have any sort of great idea of how to actually implement these things? Well, I think first thing you have to understand is to me, success in any venture we go into in the athletic realm is kind of a, what I call the success formula, which is the first factor is your skills and your talents. Okay. We can't ignore the fact that there are certain people who have better skills than other people. When Rory's driving the ball, like he's driving the ball, it, it's just, I mean, it, it's hard to compete with. Um, as one of my players said, when Rory's hitting the ball, like he is, he's already in the top 10. Okay, we have to do other things, but we're not in a talent contest. And that's the thing. Talent, there's there's a thousand players sitting on mini tours right now who have talent better than some of the players that are on tour that make millions upon millions a year. And and you know, you look at a player and you say, Well, how does a Matt Kuchar continue to dominate the way he does? He wouldn't be what people would draw up for a 14-year-old kid to say, follow that. Mm-hmm. But yet he has other strengths and elements. So what happens is as we climb this, the success mountain, okay, to use an analogy, as you get near the top of the mountain, everybody's skilled and everybody's talented. Now, we have to continue to refine what our skills and talents are. The thing is, you have to be able to apply those skills and talent under increasing levels of pressure. So if we take an athlete and we take great skills and then we put them under pressure and they struggle there, then there's another issue. There's the psychological we have to work on. It's not that they're choking. It's the fact that their systems may not be really good for under pressure. They may have a timing issue in their golf swing, which looks amazing on every uh, radar-based system on a driving range, but you get them out under the heat of the moment, their timing is a millimeter off, and boom, they're in trouble. You've got to be mentally flexible. It's the third category. So the great players, if you watch scoring on the PGA Tour – very rarely is the leader on Thursday in the you know winning the tournament. Great players work through the course of a of a round, work through a course of a tournament, and continue to find ways to refine their best that day. Golf has a problem. Unlike any other sport, golfers sit back before they compete and play, and they think today's going to be the best day I've ever played. I feel it. The weather's good. I've been hitting. I'm doing great work. I've been watching some videos. I figured out something in my putting. 
let's go. And they get out there, and the game just slaps them. And then they feel broken down and frustrated. Whereas other athletes in other sports sit in before competition and go, wow, this competition is going to challenge me, and I'm going to get hit, punched, bit. I'm going to be slobbering upset. But we reward in other sports the endurance mindset, the figure it out and get through it. In golf, if a player comes in and says, God, I bogeyed the last two holes, what happened? Like, that's a failure, right? Versus, you know, maybe they were really good bogeys, okay? And so then the last factor is circumstance. Now, here's the thing is that as athletes, to your question, athletes focus on skills and talent and circumstance. They ignore the psychological two in the middle, under pressure and how to be mentally flexible. So what tools can we use to um, focus that? First one is awareness, simple awareness of knowing where you are without judgment. Now, I know you guys are big fans of the daily stoic and meditation and other factors. That is critical because we naturally judge everything we're going through. We all of a sudden experience and think we're unique and it's a problem versus going, damn, this thing's hard today. Like, it's so hard for a golfer to admit, man, I am struggling off the tee today. Usually it's, I'm struggling off the tee. Why does this always happen in the heat of the moment? That judgment statement then unravels versus, hey, acknowledge, I'm struggling today. I need to either hit my fairway finder. I need to hit a, a shot off. i got to just use what I have today. We see it as a negative versus an adapt- adaptation. I think the other thing is reviewing is very important. When we allow emotion to guide our decision-making and we allow emotion to guide our, our assessment, we only remember the most painful or the most, most successful, successful. We miss all the beauty in between. So I played Saturday and Sunday this week, um, and Saturday's round was flawless. But I also missed four birdie putts inside six feet and a par putt inside six feet and shot even par. And I was like, God, it could have been ridiculous, <laughs> right? Yeah. How am I going to see that round? I saw that round as a struggle. And what happened was I got frustrated with my putting. So on Sunday, I go out and play, and I couldn't. And we, we have two courses at our club, and they have different greens, grass greens. Okay. So I go to the other course, and I struggled immediately out of the gate putting. And it cycled to frustration, which led me to a, a balloon round a much higher I shot 10 over. So you wonder where the consistency is there. That's where most people would say is why am I not consistent? The fact was mentally I was sunk before I started because I was so yeah. frustrated because it could have been, well, you forget on Saturday, I also made three 30 footers for birdie. Okay. So, you know, you, we have to just take it as what we want. And those are the skills that we have to do. Yeah. And, and look, we're seeing this, and we're seeing this. If you go into the clubhouse after someone's played and just interviewed every golfer after they played, you're going to see that the majority of the times. And I think what we, as Andy said, we want to make sure we get some real good practical things out for the golfers listening to this. And I think we're going to definitely hit upon some pain points from golfers, but we're also going to be hitting upon some things that they've never even thought about. And you mentioned emotions already, and a few of the things that we've got on our list to talk about, but definitely want to get into expectations first of all and you know we all know as golf coaches that and as players that managing expectations to play good golf is critical but can you elaborate on this and just pick up on some things that amateur golfers would be saying what do you mean expectations and how how is that relevant yeah it's a great question it's very practical for a player because expectations are the killer 
they crush performance. And and the problem is people often think of expectations as good. Like I expected to play good. That's a sign of a good player. Well, expectations, if we look at the terminology, ex, you're expecting to play well. Why? Why would you expect anything? If, if you and I were meeting for dinner um, and I expected you to be there, but I really didn't do what it took and I wasn't flexible and I just waited for you, why would I expect you to show up if I, you know, I've done the work, but I haven't, you know, made sure that you were going to show up. So I would be disappointed, right? Or here's the other way I look at it. You ever had one of those nights where you guys, we all get together and we, we have no plans for the night and we're not going to go do anything. We're just going to get together at a pub and have a beer. Next thing you know, somebody walks in and says, Hey, I got these two tickets. I got these tickets to go see this great show. Next thing you know, it's this epic night, right? I mean, we're backstage, <laughs> right? Okay, it's phenomenal. And then we we go home and we call the next day. We're like, dude, that was unbelievable. Okay. And then we say, let's do it again next week. <laughs> yeah. Bombs, right? Because we we tried to force it. What happens with expectations? We've had a great week of practice. We figured out something. I've all of a sudden I'm hitting it better on the range. And now all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh, I expect to play well. Really, where expectations come from is hope, and it's fueled by fear and doubt. When players don't believe that they can do it, they hope they can do it. You have to change that mindset. I have no idea how you're going to play today. I have no idea. Instead of expecting anything, you can't control how a ball bounces on a fairway. You can't control if it goes into in-between yardages all the time or you've really got, you know, the the greenskeeper cuts it just on a little bit of a slope so a really good pitch rolls out to 12 feet and you miss the putt. Um, you don't know those things. And so it's about making the most of what you have. And so with expectations, I want to have I don't want you to expect to play well. I want you to believe that you can compete every single day by learning to find your best that day. We get in trouble with expectations as we raise what our level is to such a point that it's impossible for us early in the round and tension builds. You get more and more frustrated. You get angry. You get disappointed. You start becoming judgmental, and then you abandon it. And when you don't care anymore and you probably had a cold one, you go, oh, hell with it, and you play great, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, when we try to force anything, we're trying not really to force it to get it. We're forcing it to alleviate the doubt that we have inside of us. That's where the problem is. So what I want people to say is I have the tools to compete every day. I don't know how today's going to go. I don't know if it's going to be easy. I don't know if it's going to be tough. But I'm ready for the battle to adapt to what I need to do to find the best that I have that day. Like, here's, here's a perfect question. Why do golfers see saving a shot as a bad thing? You'll hear players say, oh, I had to save that one. But if you were stepping off of your stoop and you twisted your ankle and you didn't fall and you saved it, you don't see that as a negative. You see that as a positive. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. if you had to save it, your your brain and the motor system did its job. Absolutely. It, it did what it was supposed to do. It got the ball moving down the fairway. I had a drive this week that I thought was terrible and we were playing a wolf game and it kept me from being picked, which is wonderful. But um, it ended up it was kind of like a drop kick toe hook. The thing rolled forever. <laughs> right down the tightest driving hole. Okay. And it was comical because I was like meh, 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 afterwards. But my 
my body did the job because it was free to move. It was free to compete. Expectations yeah. create tension, which limit us from competing. Yeah. And we, we had the exact, I want to give you a quick example of our old golf course that both me and Andy played junior golf at, and it was called Oxley Park. The front nine was harder than the back nine. So front nine was harder than the back nine. But what would happen was there were a couple of things that would play into it. So if you played well on the front nine, your expectation then would be a lot higher because you've played well on the front nine. You've got an easier back nine. So you automatically understand and feel, sorry, not understand, you feel that you should now shoot a good score because you're playing the easier nine coming up. But the chances are the majority of the times people would blow up because of that high level of expectation. But then the flip side of that was sometimes the back nine was easier for people just for the simple fact they'd already blown up on the front nine. And as you said, their expectations had gone for their round and they just went out there and freewheeled. So I think what you just said there makes total sense for any yeah. golfer listening to this. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think we always have to be prepared in a round to not try to play a, a whole four hours ahead of us. You know, a player gets a, a high cut and they think, oh, on 16, that's going to be in the water. You're on three. Like, <laughs> like chill yeah, it out. You know what? That's so funny. That's right, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, chill it out. Like, I'll have players. I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, two years ago, I had one of the golf magazines call me about Sawgrass. It was, it was Players Week. And they said, what do you tell your players about 17? And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, you know, you've got all the water around it. And I said... Well, players are looking to see where the pin is on 17 when they get to the golf course. Okay. They're, anyone who tells you they're not, they're lying. They're looking where the wind is. They're looking for all the other factors. Okay. Um, and, you know, when they get on 11, they're looking through the trees. Then they go play 12, 13, 14, 15. They're looking over there. Then 16. Okay. It's a wedge. You know what they don't do? You'll never see a player go in the practice rounds to the drop area and hit shots. You know, the reason is they, they'll tell you, well, I don't want to give myself that negative feel. Um, why? Because on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you don't want to be prepared to hit a shot? Now, I'd rather them hit four shots to four different pins from the drop area and let themselves know that they can handle it. Yeah. I yeah. want them to see the water and go, okay, I got it. Okay, I'm prepared. Not, oh, I'll just put my head down. Because yeah. all that does yeah, yeah, yeah. attention. Yeah. Right? Lower the expectations. I can handle anything. It's not a problem. Do you know what? I think one one thing that people, well, why people struggle with this as well, because they think they're lowering their expectations. They see it as lowering their aspirations as well, don't they? Yes. Which is a totally different thing. They think, well, I, I should, I should have my my, I should be doing this and I should be doing that. But the aspirations and expectations that you can still have high aspirations, but realize on that day that I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to accept where I am and I'm going to deal with the situations that I have in front of me, which is totally different. doesn't mean that you're not going to try and be your best and have goals that's and right. try and get to that. And I think that's what golfers struggle with, to separate those two. Well, I think you nailed it, right? Aspirations and expectations are two completely different things. I believe I can get to the top of Mount Everest. Not me personally, but if I'm climbing it, I do believe it. But I have no idea what's going to happen. I have no idea where it's going to, what's is my body going to handle it this week. Yeah, you don't know. And I think that's where Rory McIlroy has done such a brilliant job. I, I've got all of my junior golfers right now watching and listening to everything that he's talking about. He's gained such wisdom in the last 18 months. And I think a lot of it is him going into his own personal journey and transformation. I remember walking a uh, practice round with him at the PGA Championship a couple years ago. And, um, and he was so tired. He was talking about being tired. All he wanted to do was go sit and watch football games, believe it or not. We were laughing about eating hot dogs. I mean, you could just tell he was tired. 
And then all of a sudden, he changed his relationship with the game. Mm-hmm. And when he won the Players' Championship last year, his press conferences were gold. He, you know, he, he didn't score very well on the first and second hole, which are not, you know, number two is really a gettable hole. And he just said, look, I looked up and realized I had more time. Other people are going to struggle. In other words, he lowered his expectations. He just realized it's a relationship I have with the game. It, that's what we all have to do. Mm-hmm. And there are times that we're going to play great. <clears throat> There's times that we're going to play poorly. A PGA Tour player wins 80% of their money in five events a year. They play between 25 and 30 events in a year. So 20 to 25 events of the year, they're not very good. They're scrapping it. But we hold ourselves to that standard. And when we watch television, we only see the best players. I think it's it's critical that we understand the difficulty of this game. We have taught, romanticized, um, educated the 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 spiritual awakening aspect of golf mm-hmm. you know golf in the kingdom brilliant book but it's that's the less than 1% experience right golf is is more like playing an obstacle course it's not playing a, a a tango it's not going out there and putting on a gorgeous display of ball strike it's it's scrappy it's hard you're taking elements and i was thinking about this the other day how many other sports you know, in foot in American football, the the best transition from full swing to putting would be like having to kick Tom Brady having to kick the field goal, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know any other sports that do that. And so golf was we have the power, the speed, and then we have the finesse also in it. It's, it's almost like a biathlon. It could be a. T- that's a great point. This could be a new game, couldn't it? A, the team game of golf, where you have the the perfect driver and the the, the perfect putter. That would be quite cool. That would you know, be quite, I, it's interesting you say this. Yeah. Yeah. Go, I used sorry, to play. Karen, I, no, no. I used to play in a uh, when I was in grad school. I used to play in a um, uh, playing some like charity or some money game scrambles, right? And we had this one guy that bankrolled it. It was a way that I had some extra cash because I've always hit the ball long. I've always been a big hitter because playing baseball for so long um and but this guy was he was admittedly obese morbidly obese he couldn't swing a club but he could putt and he he could putt better than any human i've ever seen in my life (laughs) so he put together a team and we'd only have three balls approaching greens but very rarely did we ever need to putt i mean this guy was brilliant and it was we'd win and we'd win money and we'd take on bets because people would say, well, it's three against four. What they forgot was it was really one against four because this guy could putt. It'd be cool if we could if we did a team game like that, right? That would be yeah. really good. Yeah, <laughs> actually get fun. it that way. Yeah, it would be. It would be. It's just an interesting one as well. We spoke to Claude Harmon yesterday, and he told he said golf is like controlling chaos, which pretty much is what we've just said there. It's an obstacle course. It's chaos. You know, it's it never goes to plan. You know, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to understand what you're out there for. So let's let's go into some belief. I know that you talk a lot about belief, and I think that you hear, you will hear a lot of club golfers say, "Oh, well, one of the biggest reasons the best players are so good is because they they can believe in their ability and what have you." But I mean, you know this, working with the best players, that even the best players struggle with belief. Obviously, amateurs struggle with belief. Mm-hmm. What is the What's the what are the reasonings behind this, and how can people instill belief in themselves? Well, believe you're right. Great players have moments where they believe greatly in themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, great players will also have periods where they feel like, you know, I, I 
it's really hard right now. Okay. And I, I, what I want them to do is acknowledge that and admit that, Hey, it's hard. Okay, fine. So to me, belief is a continuum. <clears throat> belief is, is the ultimate top of the, the pyramid. Okay. <clears throat> confidence leads to belief. Okay. Trust leads to confidence. A plan leads to trust and a vision leads to a plan. Okay. So let me describe if, if, if I'm sitting there and I say, okay, I want to become the best player in my region, right? That's my vision. Then you better build a plan to do it. Okay. Now what happens is through experience, you start trusting that I can put myself in that scenario and I start seeing results, but trust is a little bit more of a controlled environment. And when you look at people going through swing changes or think the trust is, Hey, if I hit the shots coming out of this window, but we haven't put it into challenging conditions or variable conditions yet. Trust is still, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's like testing a new medication. It's in a controlled environment. Then we start getting confidence in it, which means confidence is I can see it to different experiences. All right. And I'm starting to have more confidence in my ability to adapt. But belief is the ultimate, and that's when you are the ultimate agent to create it in any circumstance. What I want our masters to be, the best, is to believe that they have the tools every day. And, you know, you go out on a golf course, and you have your first couple pitches or chips. They're nothing like you had on your short game area. Okay, first of all, you're more than likely playing a ball that you weren't pitching and chipping with. You're playing on greens that are usually not pitched up to make you feel better. Um, you're, you know, you, you don't have four other balls sitting there that you can get upset. You can pull another one over. You've taken the chaos now and amped it up. Belief is I can stand in the chaos. And, and what I say is, and I can draw the sword. In other words, I can, I can be ready for anything that comes through. Now, the other way of looking at it is if I brought you two who are master presenters, you would have no problem with this. Okay. But let's play along. Well, let me, let me change the scenario here. If I said, Hey, I'm going to bring you to the mountain areas of America. And I say, all right, guys, here's a map. And I want you to go eight miles in to the cabin through the woods. And I leave you at eight o'clock in the morning. You'd be like, okay, we can figure it out. Got my stuff. <clears throat> I can adjust. All right. Now, if I say I drop you off at 8 p.m. at night, you're going to be like, oh, it's going to get a little harder. Well, if you've never been in that situation, every noise and fear you hear is going to freak you out. Your mind is all of a sudden going to start thinking, what the hell is that? What is that? Now, if I told you before I dropped you off that they've had seven bear sightings and three bear attacks on that same trail. Now you're super amped up, right? <clears throat> now, if you ran into a bear, your mind and body is going to all of a sudden amp up. You're already on super high tilt. So now you're either going to run, but you're really going to misinterpret about 99% of the sounds and fears and sensations you have. Yeah. But as soon as you see that bear, you're either going to fight it or you're going to run the fear, the um, fight or flight response. Now, here's the difference. The same thing is if I, before you left, I trained you guys on how to use a bear gun, okay, a gun that could take down a grizzly. And if I trained you on it, and then I said, whoever gets a bear wins extra money. Ooh, now we're looking for it. 
All I've done is gotten you to believe in the skills, but you're still going to have a physiological response the first time you see it. Of course. But if you've done it a hundred times, you're not going to see it the same way. You're going to be like, where's that bear? I want that bear. You're still going to have some risk. Mm-hmm. But what? So it's about exposure, right? The only difference was your readiness to face an uncertainty. Yes. The same bear, the same cabin, the same trail, the same day. It was your readiness. So belief is, can I train you for the uncertain? Can I get you enough tools in your toolbox that you can believe in yourself to face that uncertainty? The best operators, the best succeeders, the best people, they don't believe in 10 items inside them. They believe in one or two to face that challenge. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at great players, when they're coming down the stretch, they're not trying to hit the ball two different ways. And they're going to go to their go-to shot because they're going to simplify it because that's where their mind – that's what I want to do is is to handle that chaos and to handle that uncertainty, to believe – I can handle anything. I just had a conversation with one of my guys yesterday and we were talking about it and he was talking about when he returns, he said, I'm in such great standing. I've got 18 months now. I'm so confident in the work I've done. I'm so confident in the uniqueness of the work I've done. And I said, okay, but if you don't have results right away, he said, well, I'm going to be ticked, but I'm not going to, it wasn't for a short term thing. I wanted to believe, and I said, here's the difference. I said, every time in your career that you've had success, you've regressed afterwards because you've been focusing on a target. For the first time in his career, he's not focusing on a target. He's focusing on him. Hmm. He wants to put himself in the hunt a lot more. And he knows that means he's going to lose some. Because, but he wants, to, he wants to get really good at dealing with that feel. And that's what's driving him. So the feels, the worries are all part of it. He's willing to embrace it, but he is excited that he's gained his toolbox of being in the heat of the moment that it's not a one-hit wonder type of thing. Yeah. I think that's just, I mean, we, we've spoken about this all the time. By the way, our physiological response to uh, being in the in the mountains with bears at night is to run for eight miles screaming. That's both yeah. what me and Andy would be doing. You know, it's funny. We have a show here in the United States called Naked and Afraid. Do y'all see it? Do y'all know that show? No. no. Okay. It's a brilliant show because what they've done is they take a male and a female and they go to a remote part of the world and they follow them for 21 days naked. So what they do is they strip them naked and it's a psychological trick. It's a trick to make them fully exposed. And, you know, they're all survivalists, but they have to, you know, and they're really not at risk. I mean, you know, but they're out there for 21 days having to battle the elements and and find food and forage and build fire. But the best are the have the tools to know that that plant is poisonous. This plant gives me this is how I get water. This is they can sustain it. And it's because they trust that they have the most adaptable tools. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean they're not stressed out. No. But I then again, the, the, the real valid point for anyone listening to this is go and test yourself. In 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 go and have. I, I think money matches is the wrong thing to sort of recommend to people. But go and put yourself under pressure by you know saying, all right, let's go and have a match. You know, yeah. we say it a lot with the the younger juniors who follow us on Instagram and things like that, and they say, how can we get better? I say, well, you know what. You two go and play each other. Tell tell your Instagram stories that you're about to play a big match today and we're going to post the winner 
on stories later. Suddenly yep. that for a young kid to say that they've just lost or they've just won on their social media is huge. So there's, there's different levels of how it attaches and, to yourself. And for young golfers, you know, it's fine to bet your parents money, but the bi- the biggest fear is make the loser clean the other person's clubs. Oh, 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 oh yeah. Okay? Make them clean yeah. their shoes. Yeah. Make them carry their stuff back home. Yeah, those See the types ball of, for you. Yeah. Make them <laughs> make them own that. And it's funny. I mean, I, I work with a university, um, one of the universities I work with, and the male and females. I'll get them to compete against each other. And I'll tell the coaches, and the coaches all work intermersed across the males and females. It's an awesome place. And um, and it's so funny. I'll put the males against the females, and then I'll make the females pick a male that there's going to be their partner. Well, the male against the females, what happens is we get done, and the girls are like, um, God, you know, they'll, they'll have all these thoughts. The guys are like, I don't, I don't want to be embarrassed and lose to the girls. Now, the girls have, like, at one point, they had the number one amateur on their in the country, in the world on their team. Okay, so it wasn't like they were less than. They're much. They're actually probably much better than the guys are. Okay, but the, but both sides had their own doubts and worries that they were embarrassed until I got them by themselves to bring it up. Mm. And the girls were like, "Oh, the guys don't care about losing to us." I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> they were freaking out. It's not because they were losing to girls. They were losing to their friends. And they didn't want to lose in the locker rooms where they're all intermersed and they didn't want the trash talking. It had nothing to do with boys versus girls. Mm. But it's so funny. If you don't get out of your comfort zones, then all you ever do is limit your experience. And, you know, you've got to you've got to get out there and play. You've got to get out there and, and test your skills. You've got to get out there and find how to get better. Because, you know, it's like I, I hear this all the time, I, you know. Uh, a kid will play off scratch at their home club and they'll say, well, you know, I'm going to go do some Monday qualifiers or whatever. It's like, dude, playing at your home course with your own group, with your own money, with your own ability to post a score, nobody cares. And going out and putting your heart and soul on the line against the world to see, big difference. Yeah, big difference. Big difference. difference. Yeah, I love that. Andy, do you want to get into some focus and emotions? Should we go to there? So, yeah, I want to talk about focus, but really, and, you know, from your experience, what does the... The average golfer, and I'm sure the, the, even the best players struggle with this sometimes. You know, a lot of people will say, I just need to concentrate more or, or whatever it is, and they don't understand what concentration means. But what are the things that you see average golfers, where, where does their focus go and how does it limit their performance on the golf course? Yeah, it's a great question. I, you know, focus, let's first understand that focus is not about ignoring things. All right, focus is about being so locked in on one thing that everything else blends out, blurs out, okay? So it's a tunnel vision approach. Now, here's the thing. Focus is also a biological experience. It's a ner- what we call neurocognition. It's a neurocognitive approach, okay? There are cert- some days that, for whatever reason, our brain is struggling with distracting stimuli. I mean, there are some days that we just don't have the gas in the tank, okay? Most golfers including my tour professionals don't eat enough on the golf course to maintain focus for five hours. Okay. And you know, I know a lot of the nutritionists will advocate eating almonds or beef jerky. Look, it doesn't work. Uh, I, I talked to some of the best nutritionists in the world that deal with elite competitive athletes. You need some sugar, you need some carbohydrates, you need some long acting protein. 
you know, you can't get enough almonds and beef jerky in, in a dry mouth to eat enough, like dry your mouth out and then go eat almonds. That's a great <laughs> story. I mean, look, I'm a fan of almonds. I mean, I've got them right here, <laughs> but <clears throat> you know, you've got to mix them. Right. And a couple of years ago, I was sitting down with the at the University of Alabama, which is one of the largest athletic departments and most successful athletic departments in the country in college. And our and our nutritionist is probably the finest sports nutritionist I've ever been around. And she, I was talking to her, and I said, "What do we do?" And she said, "Well, peanut butter and honey, um, some cereals, trail mix, M and M's. You need things to fuel the brain, right?" So what happens is during the course of a round, you're in the beginning, you're a little amped up. You got adrenaline. Then you go through the natural dip. You get to hole 13, 14. What happens? Well, the, the dip happens mentally. And then a hole and a half later, you start hitting it poorly. What do you blame? You blame hitting it poorly. The engine, the computer is overwhelmed. It's, it's got no energy. Okay. So, the, the, a really rudimentary way to look at it is like the working memory on your computer. If every app is open and then you try to open up a video editor, it's going to suck all the energy off of your computer and you're not going to be able to run the multi other products. You got to put more energy into the computer. You got to put more memory into it. Before you hit a shot, I want your focus to work like a funnel. Okay. So when you're walking in between shots, like you don't have to stay focused. It's impossible to stay focused for five and a half hours, okay? And, and I'm going to come back to how do we raise our intensity here in a minute because that, that is a short-term trick. But the first step of it is awareness and acceptance, just being aware of where you are. Hey, I'm three under, okay? Or I'm three over or I'm having a good day or bad day. Okay, that's fine. You, what do I have to do here? What's the purpose of the shot that I need to hit now, okay? Then you move to strategy. What's the strategy I want to hit? Well, I want to hit, okay, you're, you're processing information. Then while, as I'm telling you that, I bet every one of us is sitting there thinking of a shot. We're visualizing it. Well, then what happens is we move into visualization, we execute. And the result of it that comes out of the funnel is either positive or negative, and we start the process again. The problem is this. When we walk up to a shot and we don't have a high-level energy, when the mind is starving and it's not hydrated and fed, it goes into threat detection mode, has to, because starvation is a threat. So now we have limited resources. What are we going to lock into? Bad shots, bad focus, stimuli, that's going to be a direct. So your mind starts sending negative thoughts. You're never going to have a, a positive thought in the heat of the moment. You're only going to have negative thoughts that you're aware of because that is the, the mind can't make a mistake and miss. So what it's going to do is we'll say, you're going to have a negative thought. And then what happens is, you, that bothers you. Well, that increased arousal, which is going to say, oh, hit it, and here comes some more. Okay? Well, so now instead of your funnel being like this, your funnel does that. The awareness stage says, holy cow, we got a massive problem here. Don't hit it right. I've got a two-shot lead. Don't hit it right. Well, then you judge it like, idiot, why am I having that negative thought? Oh, you just said that thought was really, really bad, and that water right is really bad. Okay, so it starts recruiting more protection and everything. So your focus is locked in just on the threat. Your strategy is how not to, to screw up. But when you get over the ball, your focus goes wide to 14 different ways to not make a mistake. So what I want people to do in focus is to step back and allow and to flip their funnel 
and get it to go back like this. And the first way to do it is take a couple deep breaths. Be aware of everything. Hey, it's a very tight driving hole. There's trees left, out of bounds right, water, got to care. Okay, great. What do I want to do? What is the purpose of the shot that I want to do? Okay, if I'm in the trees and I bring the negative energy and the frustration of being in the trees, if I don't flip my funnel and identify what the purpose is, I'm going to try to hit a swinging hook out of the trees that's going to cause more problems. When really the purpose is, the primary purpose is get the ball back in the fairway and try to save par, okay? Not try to make a birdie. And the frustration that I hit it there is over. Like, yeah. that shot that got me there is not the shot I'm playing now, okay? If I took you and I said, all right, Andy, I want you to drop a ball in the, in the trees and get it down. You wouldn't have the negative energy and the judgment that you hit it there. No. Peter's going to be like, yeah, I'm going to get an advantage to you. Well, but if you did it yourself, you think you're a failure for that. Yeah. So what I want people to do is to flip their funnel and to say, look, it is what it is. Play the shot in front of me. Play that shot and accept it. Like, it sucks that I'm here, but I still have to play the shot. And when you do that, what happens is, you, you allow your focus to become really good. Now, as I said, there's a way to shortcut this. Two ways. One, verbalize your shots out loud that you want to hit. That's the easiest thing to do. All right, I'm going to hit it through that gap in the trees, and I'm going to try to swing it around that tree and then cut it around the next tree. Okay, wait, that sounds stupid. Okay, let's go out. And what happens is when you slow <laughs> it down and you have to verbalize it, not only do you lock into the visualization element, but you also slow down. The second thing is intensity. Whoever told, the, told golfers they needed to be calm should stop teaching, okay? Golfers, the greatest golfer of our generation isn't calm. He's intense. He's getting after it. He knows who he is. There are some golfers that go out and they just, they can almost get zen. That's great. You try to get me zen, doesn't work. Talk a little garbage with me, now I'm focused, now I'm going to beat you, okay? You have to embrace who you are. I don't want you to do anything emotionally that disres disrespects the game or, or get angry. But, you know, it's a challenge. If you've got to create if, – if you two go out and play and y'all are just going in for have a walk in the, on the park, that's great. But that's not going to happen. You probably got to think he's going to beat me. And you guys have been around each other too long. You probably compete against each other all the time. Okay? That's awesome. Compete. And if you need to find that little burst, it will help your focus. Hmm. And it's why when people get under the heat of the moment and they have a lot of adrenaline, they never miss the center of the club face. You know, we, we may hit it too far, but we never miss the center of the club face. Yeah, yeah. I think one thing I really like control. about that, and I think it'll definitely resonate with a lot of golfers, is just the acceptance, the acceptance of where you are, where you're at, but also the acceptance if you're on a hole. I love what you said there. Just say, yeah, this is a, this is a hard hole. There's out of bounds there. There's trees there. That's fine. Where a lot of people would think, well, I've almost got to try and pretend that it's not there. Okay, there's no bunker there. There's no out of bounds. Ignore that. It's actually just going, okay, yeah, this is looking pretty tough. But what do I yeah. actually want to play? And ask that good question and accept everything else. That I really like that. And I think if a lot of golfers take that on, it will completely change their approach to everything and how they feel certainly on, on, the, on the course. Well, it's funny. I, I was playing. There's two holes back to back on one of our courses that just are really challenging for me off the tee. And one sits way up on an elevated tee. And I was playing with your buddy, Blackburn, Mark Blackburn. 
And I mean, his self-talk on the golf course is just dreadful. Um, but you know, we always laugh. Our friends go, what do y'all do for a living? But when we're out there competing, we're, we're having a blast. Anyway, I get up on this hole and I, I walk up and I said, look, I don't like this hole. And what happens is I want to hurry up and hit it and get it over with. Right. And what I try to get my players to do is to sit in it. Don't be in a hurry to get out of it. Just embrace it. Usually the negative thought and the fear just only has to blip through for a short amount of time, okay? And I said, all right, Mark, here's what I'm going to do. I, he didn't teach me anything. Right, I just want you to <laughs> under, I, I was using him as a sounding board. And I said, look, there's a tree way up on the hill. I'm going to cut it off of that tree. And it's tight driving. And he, we were a partner, and he said, well, if you hit it in the water, I said, if I hit it in the water, I'll drop it. I mean, so what? I don't want to. He goes, love that. That's where tour players have a big advantage. When they got a caddy on the bag who goes, love that. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, boom, that funnel is in. Okay. And what I want people to understand is, and I, I smoked it. The next hole, though, it's the hardest driving hole in our entire complex. Mark loves the hole. I really struggle with it. And he's like, we get done. He goes, you know, on 14, you just went through this brilliant process. On 15, you hurry up and hit before I ever got up on the tee box. And I didn't hit a good drive. Mm -hmm. He's like, you got to just slow it back down and get back to what you want to do. And I'm like, you know what? It's so true because we all struggle. I know for me, when I'm struggling on a tight driving hole, I have to go up into the horizon. I can't yeah. see that. I've got a player on tour. We're walking at Mayakoba this year. And um, he tells me something brilliant. He goes, hey, Brett, he goes, I'm all in about seeing the shot land and all that. I get too excited. My transition gets fast. I can't do that. Do you mind if I feel the drop of my elbow? I'm like, not at all. Go for it. He played great that week because to him, it wasn't about what he needed to do. It was finding our way to dance with the game. Mm -hmm. That's fine. There's no uniformity in the game. You know, you know, people, I'll give you an example. Um, I had the chipping yips and I had seen, I mean, look, I've, I can call whoever and say, Hey, send me a video on chipping better. And I knew what I needed to do. It just didn't feel comfortable. One of my players comes in one day and he's got this wedge trainer, this orange whip wedge trainer. I am not affiliated with them. I don't sell their product. I don't get any benefit off of it. Um, but I, but he came and I, I tried to chip with it. And I'm like, is this the whippy wedge? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't do it. And we had our member guest tournament coming up. And when you in in one of our extra money parts, if you if you tie, you'd go to a chip off. Well, I'm a between a scratch and a two or three handicap. And I'd always defer to my partner to be in the chip off, who's a 12. Now it's my father-in-law who's really good around the greens, but my buddies are like, dude, you're really good. Why do you I'm like, I don't want to do that. Because I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay the sod, like <laughs> naturally. So I took the Orange Whip wedge trainer, and I took 100 golf balls, and I went to wet grass. And I, it started on normal, and I just figured out my way to do it. And what, I'm big. I'm tall. I got a strong grip. I neutralized my grip. I choked down on the shaft. I put the ball essentially off my right foot, and I dropped my left foot way back. helps me rotate. I've got an artificial left hip, too, and I'm fat. So I've got to move through the ball. And – I'll pitch and ship. I'll flop with anybody. And wow. I had to find my way of doing it. And I was funny. I was working with one of the, with Todd Anderson one day 
we were working with Billy, and he was like, hit hit this pitch for a second. We'll see something. And you're like, damn, that was good, Brett. He goes, I wouldn't teach your way, but, man, that <laughs> ball interacts. Very... And I said, you know, it's funny, Todd, right? We look out here on tour, and there's a lot of guys that do it their way. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to find our way in our interaction. And that's the same with funnel. That's the same way we go up on a golf hole. That's, you know, Tiger told a story for many years that when he was in his best putting streak inside five feet, he visualized putting into a clown's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> because his dad taught him to, well, yeah, like find your dance with it. It doesn't have yeah. to be the way that Phil Mickelson does it or find your way. And, and I think sometimes I think we have to do that. Thing. Yeah. I think that's yeah. the biggest thing that, golfers say to us when they want to, when they're on a physical lesson or even on online what should i be feeling what should i be feeling well i don't know <laughs> you know yeah. we'll tell you where you want to be but you tell me what you feel because that's actually the most powerful yeah you know if i was if i if i was teaching kids which is, i do work with a lot of kids but if i was working in a golf academy with kids i would follow the approach of a thousand pool noodles you have to hit balls around okay find a way to do it i would i would after this coronavirus thing that we had back in the spring, I would raise the, the cups up an inch and a half out of the hole so that kids are hitting it off of stuff. I, every kid would learn to putt with towels in the hole. Um, every kid would learn to pitch and chip um, with an orange whip wedge trainer to figure it out um, and figure out your interaction because that's, you know, all of a sudden, and I watched this in baseball where I grew up playing. I was fortunate enough my dad played the game in college and he was a brilliant way of communicating and teaching, but everybody wants everybody to do it the right way. But we, we naturally have our, we know more about the body now through Titleist perform TPI and, you know, Dave Phillips and Dr. Greg Rose are brilliant at this, but you know, it's, we all have our own way of doing it. I mean, um, you know, I'm six foot five, but when I hit great drives, I like my feet closer together. I don't have a super wide base. Um, I don't like a ball to go high up in the air. I like a ball to be just around the top of the tree line, max. Um, and and there's a reason for that. It's not launch angle. It's feel. It's There's a feel that I have when I hit a ball at that level that I know I can repeat. Um, you know, when I make a cheeseburger, I like it a certain way. And, and if I'm cooking grilled chicken, I don't want the full chicken breast. I want to slice it in half because I don't like, you know, so yeah, yeah. we are all Thanks unique. You. Yeah. It's yeah, like let's be – we all have our own psychological fingerprint. The job of the game as a coach is to learn that fingerprint of the player that you're working with, not enforce your way into everything. Exactly. That's what, make, that's what makes golf so good. We're all so unique. It's just finding what works for you, definitely. 100%. 100%. Just quickly, you mentioned the yips. We'll, we'll, uh, obviously, uh, the yips can obviously be down to technique. Obviously, yep. I think technique – is a big one for that. How did you deal with that from an emotional standpoint and a, uh, I suppose, a psychological standpoint? And what would you give people who, who are in the same boat who've got maybe the yips or just very anxious over that shot? Is there anything that they can do? Yes, they may need to work at their technique, but how do they approach it when they're getting to that shot from a mental standpoint that can, that can complement the work that they're doing at the technique as well? Well, let, let's go into the physiology of the yips first. There was, you know, the articles written back in the 90s by Ainsley Smith that said it was a focal dystonia. Uh, I don't believe it. Okay. Um, so I've heard people say it's a neuro. Okay, look, it's a neurological expression, but let me tell you why. 
Um, I treat the yips like I treated panic attacks when I was doing clinical training. If you've ever had a panic attack, anybody who's listening to this, it's a brutal, terrifying experience. Yes, I've had them, um, and it, it helped me understand how to treat people with panic. If you've ever had a panic attack, the body, what happens is you have a miss, you have kind of this real alarm that's going off in the body that, oh my God, I'm either going to have a heart attack, I'm going to vomit, I'm going to... I can't breathe. I'm a hyperventilate. And then the mind interprets this kind of true alarm and then sends out and treats every false alarm experience thereafter as a true alarm. Okay. So what happens is you flood the body with adrenaline and you actually create what you're fearing and the mind gets lost. And you ever tell somebody to calm down during a panic attack? I mean, they want to bite your head off because it's not about calming down. What we try to do is get them to turn into it. Like, tell me what you're feeling. Let's experience this. So we don't fight it. We ride with it. Okay. So what happens in the yips is very much like panic attacks. It's a sudden coming out of nowhere, and now it just grabs your attention. One of the biggest components of panic is loss of control and embarrassment. In yips, it's loss of productivity and embarrassment. Okay? Very similar. So what happens is, for me, what happened for me was... I had bad technique, and if I missed a green, I'd hurry up and try to chip before other people would watch. Okay, and I would try. I'd get really focused on the technique, and the technique was very much so to not screw up. Yeah. Okay. So, all yips start with an underlying mechanical flaw, hundred percent of the time. But that mechanical flaw had been okay for a long time. Mm-hmm. They've been able to play with it. Then they weren't. Then boom. The, the, the kind of real alarm hit, and now we start getting those sensations and feels, our attention rises, and then people give us fixes, right? The, the, what's the number one fix you see of people who have got short putting yips? It looks like you deceled through it. So what do they do? They try to accelerate into it. Nobody putts with an accelerated putting stroke, right? Everybody slows down. It, or else you'd hit it. So what, what they do is they go back and then boom. Well, that's a yip, okay? Chipping. Hurry up and hit it. Okay. So what I try to do is I I do something different. When the yip man shows up, I I have you call it Bob or whatever's funny to you. Bob's here. Okay. What? Okay. See what happens is just like that. And you laughed and it goes away from being personal. It's like Bob's here. Well, when Bob's here, what happens? I get this sudden surge of emotion, sudden surge of adrenaline and the intense desire to get out of the scenario I'm in. But if I can step back and go, oh, crap, Bob's here. All right, Bob, take a couple deep breaths. It's not personal. Now, what do I know how to do? Let's make sure we see our landing spot. Let's see it, the ball enter the hole. Let's not get technique focused, but let's anchor into the one or two technical things that we know works. Okay. For me chipping now, if my shoulders get cockeyed, I'm in trouble. Okay. So if, my, if I feel like they're level, I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. I don't hurry up and try to get out of it. Um, I acknowledge the negative. I know when Bob shows up, Bob's going to show up randomly and also under stress. So Bob shows up, just take a couple deep breaths. All right, Bob, I hear you. I see you there, but you know what? Whatever happens, happens, but I'm in more control. Like I'm not fighting the feeling I'm embracing that Bob's here. Yeah. Okay. Now I've worked with a zillion players on the PGA tour that have had the yips. I don't, I don't have a problem disclosing who I work with on the PGA Tour, but when it comes to yips, I don't disclose because a lot of them will call me and it's just for a very circumscribed problem. 
But I had a player who had the inability to pull a, a driver back. Same type of yip. And the first thing of a yip is, so is this going to fix it? I'm like, nope. What do you mean? <laughs> no, Bob is going to show back up at a very high-intensity space. Um, it's going to show up when you least expect it. And it's going to show up when you least desire it. So what we're going to do is we're going to reduce the intensity and the severity of Bob, which over time will reduce the frequency. All right. So I'm going to teach you how to play with it. So what I had this player do is he named it. He didn't name it Bob. He named it as the guy he couldn't stand on the PGA Tour. It's one of his <laughs> colleagues. Well, and and his name was? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and needless to say, he gets out there in the first tournament that he's playing. And after we do this, Who's he paired with in the first two rounds? <laughs> so he kept looking at his caddy and saying, so-and-so's here. And the caddy would laugh. And the other caddy would be like, yeah, we're here. We're ready to tee off. And what happened was it became a joke. He never had a problem with it after that. <laughs> okay, and he went from being unable to – I've had players on the P- – you know, and look, there's usually something mechanically that they find that they can repeat. Yeah. Maybe a change of a putter. Maybe a change of a grip. It is a solution. They may see it as a Band-Aid, okay? That's fine. They can repeat it. You know, if you look at there was a there's a player on the PGA Tour, Lucas Glover, who's one of the best ball strikers to ever live, um, U.S. Open champ. He had the yips, putting. Okay, he he could have shot 59 in a tournament. People will say, Whoop. Um, and you know, he's become one of the best putters on the PGA Tour. He got a putter and a, and a mechanic that works for him, and it's brilliant to watch him. Um, so, you know, I think the yips is it's not personal. You don't suck because you have them. The number of people who call me for private lessons or they whatever, and they're like, I mean, I just, I, you know, I, I was a great player, and then the yips hit. It's like you, it's like it's this sign, this pre, pre, um, before they call in, they want the world to know that they suck. Because they have slow that down. It just happened. You didn't choose it. You're not bad. When I tell my putters with the yips, is you're gonna miss the putt anyway. So at least let's put some good passes on it. Lo and behold, they make it. And now because you can leave the flag in the hole, you know, even in competition, find a way through it. I mean, mm-hmm. use the flag. The flag, the hole is an absence, but a flag sticks a target. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to use it. Find a little chip paint on the flag stick and aim to that. It's like me aiming to the whole uh, tree on the on the horizon. So I think you just got to look at that and go, I'm going to find my way through it, just like me with chipping. Yeah, I found a way. I went over to China, and I was doing some work over there, and I went out and played golf one day, and the guy that I was playing with was like, you're the best short game I've ever seen. And I laughed because I was using his clubs. They didn't fit me right, but I was – that's when the confidence started rolling. It was. It didn't matter if it was right or wrong. It was my way, and my way works. Yeah. And I wouldn't teach that because nobody's built like me. Nobody has the trauma up here that I've had. But yeah. now, I mean, you, so haven't, I seen, you playing, haven't seen Pierce's chip in. He's got. He's got plenty of trauma up there. I'm telling you, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> there are people here that do. You. Every one of us. Look on the PJ Tour. I've. I've Guys flub chips. The best thing that you can do, and I'm sure, I don't know if Sky does this over there, but PGA Tour Live gives you the chance to watch live golf on not the leaders. So particularly on Saturday and Sunday, they may be the 9 a.m. tee time. Those guys are 10 shots back. Yeah. yeah. Okay? 
and you get to watch them live. And a lot of times my players are on it. I'm fortunate enough to have guys that tend to be on it on the Thursday, Friday rounds a lot. So I get to watch the entire two groups that are playing. It is awesome to watch because you'll see players flub chips, miss three footers. The weeks that they're winning, they don't ever miss those. Trust me. They miss shots. They blade balls out of bunkers. You know the difference between PGA Tour guys and us? And I'm just going to stay there for a minute. <laughs> and and I don't want my PGA Tour guys to get upset when I say this, but it's true. They're playing the finest conditioned courses in the world. Okay? Most of the grass around the greens is overseeded, and it's it's flush. Okay? Um, a lot of us are playing grass that's got holes in it. It's yeah. tougher to pitch and yeah. ship up. I'm not... Look, those guys can adapt to it, all right? I'm not saying that what they're not doing is good. When I played baseball, the major league guys played on the finest fields ever, okay? They deserve to play there. When you run Formula One, they run on the nicest tracks in the world, okay? But we think, you know, my guys come and play with me and our grass hasn't grown in yet. They're like, I'm going to move this over to a tougher grass. I'm not chipping it off the mud. I'm like, then we hold ourselves to the standard that I should be able to get it up and down off the mud, you kidding me? They'd look at that and go, that's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's why the one reason I keep talking about the players, I don't know why, but that's one reason why I was disappointed the players moved to March. When it was in May, the Bermuda grass was strong and it was grainy and it was tough. And when they went and it was overseeded in the f- spring, it, I, I, th- I felt it was too much like every other course out there. I like to see the unique conditions. I like to see the unique local grasses. Um, I like to see the bunkers being, you know, a little unique. Was it 10 years ago, Jack, at his tournament, the Memorial put the grooved rakes in and it freaked everybody out? Well, that's called Saturday at my club, you know. (laughs) And and I think you have to be honest with that. Like, you know, don't hold yourself to standards. You know, if you, you know, those guys don't, they don't always hit 60s out of bunkers. They'll hit chunk and runs a lot. You know, they're, they're playing multiple, be willing to trial and error. Now they're the best of the world at what they do. And, and, you know, um, you know, man for man, point for point, there's nobody who can do it like them, but don't, don't hold yourself to a standard that you can't, that's unrealistic. I mean, it's tough. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, no, totally, totally agree. I say, I tell you what we'll do. Well, let's get into this. I've got a couple of questions based on how we can sort of action things. And then we'll get into some quick fire questions, which we always like to do. They always end up being a bit of fun. So I think, I think the one thing is that whenever me and Andy are with someone, we encourage the, the golfer to ask themselves great questions. And I think that's imperative. Obviously you ask great questions, you get great answers. We know this. What's the great question that you would ask our listeners now to ask themselves? What could I do to face the challenge of what I'm facing? Okay. So if you're hitting shots right now and you're like, Hey, look, I'm not hitting my driver. Well, what could I do? Not how can I fix it? That, that automatically creates an urgency. What can I do? In other words, more than likely, you already have the answer. Let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to your foundations that make you successful. Okay. Um, As a player, we're always in the hunt for the next solution. 99% of the time, the solution's already there. I had a player this year who called me after a round and he was just distraught, just crushed, tour player. Just like never heard him like this because he was in a good position. He had a bad day. Had a bad day, like a bad, bad day. We get to the next tournament, and he was, he just, I give him so much credit. He showed up with the best attitude in the world. 
Okay. Instead of being angry, he looked at it and he's like, you know what? I got my butt kicked. Okay. But that means we all as a team have to work. Like, that's fine. And I called him ahead of time. I said, look, show up with the attitude. You got to win the attitude day today. It's not about the swing day. What can I do? Okay. It's winning with an attitude. Show up. Let's get better. I said, it's not far off. You think it is. It's not. We get out there with his instructor and literally within 10 minutes, the instructor said, Hey dude, your ball position has just moved a little back. <laughs> Let's move it up. And it was flush city. Okay. Now what happened was we put him through some challenges. He struggled that we reinforced why his ball position was shifting. We get done and he goes, I won today, boys. I won today. He goes, you know what? I figured out if I can win my attitude on my training, I can win the week. And I went, yeah, well, <laughs> he top 10 that week. Okay. And, and had, had some bad breaks that kept him from winning the tournament and bad breaks happen. It's like playing poker. Yeah. You get bad cards. Sometimes he, he had a great shot that careened off of a green into the water. Okay. It happened. Um, and, but what I want people to understand is that what can I do? Well, when we ask that question, not why and not how fat, what can I do? It takes us a step back enough to say, I already know the answer. Let me, let me go back. It's not finding the fifth solution. Remember that one time that I worked with you guys and y'all told me this? Oh, yeah, that, that's right. It's always there. Like mm -hmm. our core is 90% of the answer. Skip not core body. I mean core process. Yeah. It's always there. Yeah. I love that. Very, very simple. Very simple, as it often is. Um, and one more for me then. So what's, what's the biggest waste of time you see golfers do? Practice. <laughs> and let me tell you why. Golfers are the worst practicers in the history of the game, of any sport. Okay? Any sport, yeah. It's the only sport that I know besides hitting baseballs at a cage, which you don't see as much anymore where people pay money to go out there and practice like total garbage. Okay. There's no purpose of what they're doing. Most players walk out and warm up with a lob wedge and then move up in their bag until they get themselves frustrated. Then they work through it. So you teach yourself how to get into trouble and work out of it instead of getting loose before you hit balls and then starting with a longer club and then working on the mechanics first. What's the first, what's the most important thing I need to do in my swing? What's the next second most work those first. They don't compete. They don't train in, in practice. Most golfers practice to fix problems. They don't practice to improve their skill set. Okay. Um, they, they'd rather sit out there and hit a hundred seven irons in a row. And then that has no, now I'm a believer in block practice. Okay. Uh, I don't believe in this hundred percent random crap because if you don't have the skill, like golfers, you want to get better at golf. Here's the three ways to get better at golf. Okay. From my perspective, have a shot. You can hit off the tee that gets in play. I don't care if you've got a 130 swing speed and a 210 ball, speed, whatever crazy stuff that we're going to see in the next five or 10 years. Right. If you can't get a ball in between the trees in the short grass, you don't have a chance to consistently score. Okay. The, the, when you look at how strokes gained is created, they looked at a stat where, 75% of the players can get the ball on the green from on the PGA Tour. Out of the rough, I think it's at 35 or 40 yards. 75 will okay. hit the green. From a fairway, it's 155 yards. Okay. So if you can't, if you're all, if you're losing one or two shots around off the tee, ask yourself, why do you need to hit a club with max effort 
off the tee. Maybe get a five wood that you know you may have to hit a nine iron in or a eight iron in versus a sand wedge. But if you're having to hit a lob wedge because your third one, your second ball is having to be pitched out, you're losing strokes. So have that. Number two, learn a shot that you can pitch chip around a green on a an easy, okay, an easy pitcher chip. Competitive players, I watch this way too often. What happens is they get in a situation where they're just off the green and they chip it to six feet, okay? That sucks because the amount of stress and energy that's going to take to make a six-footer every single tournament versus walk up, tap it in, and say, I'm going to go sit over here while everyone else is grinding. I'm going to reserve be able to get the ball up and down. And if you watch tour players, that's what they're really good at. They got a pitch. It's up within about a foot. They walk in, they tap it in, they go off to the side. They're not frustrated that they made par. It was a low stress par experience. And then t- three, learn to make the five footers and in. There's no skill that is taken from you. You can cut every putt you hit and still make five footers. As long as you, accom- you know, right? Uh, accommodate. So I think, to, to get better at the game, know the simple things and practice to get better. Don't practice to fix problems. The problem, golf is not about problem elimination. Golf is about finding what your interaction with the game is and maximizing it. Yeah, I think it's been, it's been a key thing that a lot of the guys on the podcast over the last few weeks have all talked about, and it's obviously changing that way now. And uh, hopefully the guys listening to this will... We've drummed, drummed it into them over the last few weeks that they're actually starting to take note of it as well. So fingers crossed. Okay. Yeah, you know, like, like real quick, um, I have a job. You have a job. How many, I mean, you, you do a job where you film a lot of stuff, okay? But, but your interaction with the game, but you don't sit out there, you're not a tour player who hits balls, right? The amount of hours that they do. So why would me working in my office, even though I have a putting green in my office, that's huge. And I could, ch- I went to the golf course yesterday for a little while, but I don't do that every day. So I need to understand my way of doing things is not the norm, but it's my way. And I can play. If you ever play with great money hustlers in the game, more than likely they have their way of doing it because yeah. they can trust it. Yeah. They, it doesn't matter if, if their positions are great. Yeah, they're good players, aren't they? They're not. They're, they they right. won't be good practices. They'll be good players. Big difference. Good players. Yep. Big difference. They have to. Okay, brilliant. So look, we really appreciate it. I mean, some great stuff here. I know the listeners are going to love it. Quick fire round. We'll go through just a few quick questions. Then, Brett, if you had the power to do one thing that would help golfers, let's say one wish that could help golfers, what would it be? Um, one power to, to help golfers. Uh. You know, probably uh, slant, you know, kind of like when you go to a, a golf retail store and every putt you hit, um, it kind of slants towards the hole. Yeah. So you think that putter's really good. Probably that would be great. Um, <laughs> yeah. to fix. I think one power to realize that is that if I could change one thing is to change people's mindset to realize that the game is really, really hard. When we play well, we make it look easy. But 99% of the time, it's really hard. So changing our mindset to it. Um, if if I think I would love to design a golf course. Like if you go play the golf course at Scottsdale national that Dr. Bob Parsons has or Bob Parsons has uh, for PXG, it's the little nine or whatever they call it. The par three course. It's absolutely brutal. People love playing it. Have fun playing the challenge of the game. Not yeah. the, yeah. Enjoy that. Enjoy that part. You know, enjoy the challenge absolutely. of the game. That's, that's what it's there yeah. for. 
Brilliant. Yeah. I like that. Okay, next one. Irons or putter? What's most important? Uh, I, you know, I would say irons. If you can't get the ball, in, if you can't get the ball near the hole, you have a hard time scoring. Doesn't matter how good of a putter you are. So yeah. it goes back to that first thing. If you can't get a ball off the tee, if you can't get a ball up near the green, we got problems. Yeah. Okay. But I think for juniors, they also, I think too oftentimes as coaches, we focus on the ball striking and we forget that we need to putt better. Um, so we have to, it's kind of like some days I'm going to do, eh, and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's kind of that interaction. Yeah. Mm. Perfect. Uh, what would you change about golf? Um, I, I, I wouldn't charge. Okay. In the United States, a lot of our golf courses, um, nine holes and 18 holes go away from the clubhouse. Um, I wouldn't charge for nine holes and 18 holes. I would charge, I wouldn't charge per hole, but I would like golf carts and stuff. If people want to play four holes, let them play four holes. Yeah. I, I think it, it, it's too hard. I, it's the reason why top golf has done well. It's a different interaction with the game. If you want to play four holes, play four holes. Like, you know, in the United States, because we're so golf cart driven, because they're built into neighborhoods, they're tough to walk. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they're, they're, we have one hole that is probably a 250 yard, uh, 300, no, probably about 300 yard walk between T and green. And you cross that multiple. Who the hell wants to do that? Yeah. So you, you pretty much ride every time. But you got to charge for now. If I take my daughters out to play golf, who all play golf, I'm $75 at my course before I ever tee off. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that. I, I think that's a mistake. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And obviously, with time now, it's, you know, people are so time poor that, well, that's nine holes, six holes, four holes is great, isn't it? It's, it's great wonderful. To to yeah. It's good for the club, too, because you're probably going to drink something, you're going to eat something there, all that. Exactly. It's going to encourage more people to play, which is great. Okay, yep. best part about your job? Uh, I get to be a part of people's journey of their life. Um, that I get to be a part of their dreams, their aspirations. I get to walk fairways. I get to be around people who are committed to what it takes to be their best. And I think that is that is an amazing honor. It's an amazing responsibility. Um, it also keeps me in the game. I'm a former athlete. I played baseball and and you know, I would love to have been a coach. And I, many times when I was in grad school, I, I kicked around the idea of dropping out of grad school to go back into coaching. But now I got the best opportunity. I'm glad I stuck with it because I get to be a part of people's lives across, not just golf. I work across all sports and, and all age groups and, and it's just the best. You've just rejogged my memory there actually. Cause I just remembered now we bumped into you at the U S open at Pebble beach this year, last year. Yeah, we did. That's yeah. It. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, that just, that just popped into my mind. I don't know where that came yeah. from. Okay. And the last question. Reason. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> What's the funniest thing you've seen out on the golf course? Uh, um, yeah, we, I, I will say this. I've seen a lot of funny stuff. But tell me it's about Mark Blackburn. <laughs> you know, Fine. oh, I could tell you some stories about that chap. But, um, you know, I will tell you, one of the things about golf that I love so much is the camaraderie. I love being out there with friends. I love being out there with people who enjoy the game. Um, we've got a new group at our club that started off with just kind of we all broke away from the groups we were playing in and we just started forming as friends. We're everything from plus handicaps to we have one guy in the group who's a son who's a 29. And we have the best damn time. And we had a guy this this year who with the uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the flat, the hole was up. Right. It was the only weekend that we did that. And he made a hole hit one. Right. So instead of a hole in one. The entire hole hit one. 
So they, um, the club wouldn't honor it. And in our groups, at our club, if you make a hole in one, everybody pays you 10 bucks, and you buy everybody in your group a pair of top-of-the-line golf shoes from the pro shop. Well, the club wouldn't honor it. They said, no good. Um, and so one of our group members called Club Pro Guy and had him record a private video for this guy. <laughs> and it was one of the funniest damn things I've ever seen because he had all the lingo and we wrote the script for him, but it was such an inside joke. Well, who made a hole in one this weekend? That guy. It was his first, the whole hit one was his first one ever. He made another one. And, um, and it was, it was great because the joy and the fun of it, but just to watch it happened in the group in front of us. Um, I think that was fun. I mean, I, I love, I love the camaraderie of the game. I love the chance to be out there with my kids who still play a little bit. I love being outside. I love, but the, some of the fun, the, you know, the funniest things are seeing people screw up and laugh about it. I mean, there's so much crazy stuff that happens. I mean, I still love watching my players laugh at Zach Johnson for hitting it off the toe twice and hitting the T marker in practice swings at Augusta. They love that. Things, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, have some fun with it. I mean, you know, uh, a funny story about Mark Blackburn. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, he doesn't know what a tea time is. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you say we're teeing off at eight, he will come driving up from his house at eight and be like, well, I bloody thought the tea time was at eight. And we're like, yes, Mark, but they're trying to get us out early. Well, you know, and, and so this past <laughs> two weeks ago, we decided to play the ball completely down. Okay, who's the only guy of our 25 that's complaining? <laughs> Mark Blackburn. Blackburn. Okay, and he's sending videos to the group. It's like the the bloodiest, smartest people I'm ever around are the biggest, dumbest idiots in the world. <laughs> and it just totally mind raked him. So funny. That was. Yeah, you can get in his head. He's a mental midget. You can get in his head pretty easy. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Hey, look, Brett, thank you so much for your time. You've been an absolute star. I think anyone listening to this, I know we've we've, we've spoke for a while and we could have spoke for, we, we haven't got through half of our questions. I think that it's just, it's just great for golfers to just look at themselves as we've discussed today and just, just, just think about it a little bit, you know, try and stay away from the technique side just a little bit and just have a little think about what questions you should be asking yourself. And I think you've, you've offered some real great insights. So thank you for that. Now, if anybody wants to see you, I know you've got some, you've got the podcast, you've got some initiatives that you do, you've got your online coaching. What's the best way for people to see you and what would you recommend they look at? You know, social media is easiest at Dr. Brett McCabe. If you go to brettmccabe.com, it'll get you to all the other things we have going on. Whether you're a coach, you know, we have a thing called the Catalyst. We got so much great stuff. I did at the start of the coronavirus thing, I, we put together, I think, six free videos for people to understand how to navigate their golf course. I'll send you guys a link after this if you all want to send it out. Yeah. Completely awesome. free. Um, yep. And it's just things that on the golf course, the, the, we call it a master, you know, kind of the 101. You know, what are the the landmines? What are the things that we struggle with? Um, you know, look, it, the greatest honor I have is to be able to sit and talk with you about something that I love to do. Okay, um, this is fun. You guys have changed the game. You brought the uh, high level of instruction to the average player and also the elite player. You, we can't forget the game is a game of a lifetime. That is a game across genders. There's no, there's the opportunity as an entire family, a grandfather, a granddaughter, a father, a wife can all go play together, play their own tees and have the experience. It is a game that we need to play on a daily basis. It's a game that we need to love. And, and more, more, more importantly, 
It's a it's finding our relationship with the game. You guys have done that, and thank you for allowing me this time. Appreciate it. You've been an absolute star, and can't wait to do it again. Can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Brett. Brilliant. Cheers, Brett. Thank you. So there you have it, some fantastic stuff there from Dr. Brett. And it really is important to understand how much our mind controls what happens to our physical self when we're on the golf course. And obviously there's a lot of examples and a lot of conversation based on how to get the best out of your performance. But if you can look at your belief, your expectations especially, and then you'll focus on your emotions, you're definitely gonna help improve yourself as a golfer. Now we have actually got something that can really help with this in that we have simple secrets to lower scores. This is a coaching plan that we designed a couple of years ago now. It's a five week plan, but it really does tackle things like belief, expectations, focus, and emotions. And it's available for free at meandmygolf.com. So you can go over to meandmygolf.com, take advantage of the free trial, and you can watch Simple Secrets to Lower Scores for absolute free. And then we know when you've watched that, you're gonna to wanna to look at the other great content on the website. So go and check that out. Let us know how you get on with it. And we look forward to seeing you next time on the next Me and My Golf podcast. Thanks so much and have a great day.